Welcome to another episode of uh, <clears throat> the Friday Weekly Recap. It's been a heck of a week. Although for, I think, normal folks who aren't in the Freedom Intensive, it's probably just been a normal week. Yeah. Uh, but for the rest of us, it's been a bit of a crazy week. Uh, but uh, we're here nonetheless. I mean, the Intensive has been cool. People are making great progress. Yeah. Um, and nine out of ten people when being served humble pie have really risen to the occasion. So it's pretty, uh, pretty good. Not sure why it's so dark. Oh yeah, Janet, that's it. You're, it's like one of those shows where you don't want your identity to be revealed, but you're giving an interview, you know, <laughs> like, like this is like one of those piping shows where it's like, you know, we're doing tackum exercises, but you don't want your identity to be revealed. This, that's how we would, that's how we would want to set the, uh, the camera yeah. up right there. Yeah. There Which go. is ironic because, you know, Janet, she's at a high, playing at a high level right now. So she should be uh, happy to reveal her uh, identity there. <laughs> you know, like, is the mob after you because your tackums are so good? Is that what this is? <laughs> the rest of the JJU students are, are knocking at the door. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Want to know how you did it. Um, all right. <clears throat> so, this is a really, 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 really interesting question. And I want to tackle it together. And I hope it doesn't backfire because I only skimmed. Oh, no. Um, but this is a great question. So th this fellow says, I forget who it was. Here's a really interesting article slash podcast about why learning difficult tunes or passages by starting slowly and gradually increasing practice speed has some inherent limitations and offers a research-based rationale for a different strategy. There's also a fascinating bit about why you should use a metronome that can randomly skip beats. Um, and and uh, I'd like to maybe just have a look together at this article. And um, I skimmed the article. Uh, this could come back to bite me. Here's a guy, Jason uh, Solomon, you know, uh, like – Thinks he's all fancy with the trombone and whatever, you know. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. He probably is quite fancy. I don't think. Uh, oh, and this is written by someone with a PhD, apparently. I bet my last dozen Krispy Kreme donuts that every music student in the history of practicing has at some point been encouraged by slowing things down and using a metronome. Huh, interesting. Now remember, these are just trombone players. They're not like real musicians, like bagpipers. Just remember that. Uh, I'd also bet a box of Timbits. Those are Canadian. Uh, donuts, donut holes, actually, um, bits of Tim Horton, uh, that each of us have also dragged our feet and resisted doing both of these things. Good point. Oh, yeah. and, who, and who could blame us? It's way more fun to play things at tempo, but as the saying goes, perhaps we need to crawl before we can walk. Or do we? Here's the problem with slow practice. While slow practice is an incentive, uh, according to the author of this article, while slow practice is an essential tool and comes with many benefits, there are also some notable limitations. For instance, have you ever gotten stuck trying to work a passage up from a slow tempo to a fast tempo? Where were you able to play the passage where you were able to play the passage accurately at half tempo and then 60% of goal tempo and then 70, 80, etc. But then at some point you got stuck and really struggled to make it that last 10% of the way to your goal tempo. Ever wonder why that happens? Like, what is it exactly that gets in our way as we approach the goal tempo? 
I have my thoughts on that. Let's keep going, though. Uh, what would you say if I told you that slow practice itself might be part of the problem? The benefits of fast practice. Over the last few years, I've come across several musicians who have admitted that sometimes they find it more effective to skip over the whole slow to fast metronome process entirely and learn a passage at tempo from day one. And then a colleague shared a video with me, apparently a fellow named Ryan, where trombonist Jason Solomon uses his background in kinesiology and motor learning to provide a research-based rationale for this strategy. This got me super excited, of course, so I reached out to Jason. We had a fascinating chat about the nuts and bolts. So if you've ever been frustrated with slow practice and want to try a different strategy for getting past those plateaus just shy of your goal tempo, I have a feeling your next week of practice is going to be a pretty fun adventure as you experiment with some of the strategies Jason describes in this episode. Uh, here's like, it looks like a bit of a bio of Jason. And then uh, it looks like it's a podcast episode. Um, and so I can share the link with everybody here, but what Jason learned in his neuro and cognitive science courses that made him begin to question the conventional wisdom about the effectiveness of slow practice. Just let's not forget some of these bullet points. Jason clarifies that there is absolutely a time and place for slow practice, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So this article is really interesting, right? I'm just going to stop my share. It's really interesting. So it's saying that maybe we could just skip all the boring slow stuff and just play fast from the get-go. That's what the article is clearly telling us, right? This is a, this is a classic question for me. And um, the article is not saying it's appropriate to learn at fast tempos. It's definitely a clickbait uh, title that uh, is that pulls us into the article and makes us think about it. But what is this article presupposing? That you're already a high-level player. Yeah, the article is already presupposing that when you see a set of 16th notes, you know what to do, yeah. right? The article is making that assumption in there, right? Like, not necessarily that you're an, already an amazing musician, but it's making the assumption that uh, your basic fundamental skills are in good form, okay? Now, the... What we're dealing with, okay, like raise your hand here if none of the basic bagpipe fundamentals, uh, sorry, am I phrasing that wrong? Raise your hand if all of your bagpipe fundamentals are already in great form and you know it. Linar, Carl, you can raise your hand. I think all your bag. I hope. I think so. <laughs> I've been I've been employing you for ten years. Um, yeah. So um, most of us have like one or two little Achilles heels that we're still kind of working on, and that would probably be fine to read an article like this if if you have one or two little things that are bugging you. Read an article like this, and maybe the podcast has some really interesting insight, and maybe indeed it can uh, present like a breakthrough for you. Right. But for those of us who have like some pretty significant fundamental issues, there's no way that practicing fast is better than practicing slow. Right. I mean, just sort of spitballing there. And I think uh, he's going to talk a little bit about this in this article. I haven't read it or, or anything either, but there's a certain something to be said for learning something at the speed at which you're going to perform because you don't have to like replace other memories from before that. So you, you, you know, we've sort of come across the same ideas that as you learn something, if you can do it correct in every element 
uh, fundamental element. From the beginning, you're going to encode a memory that's correct at its very base. It's why we don't want to learn something like without any rhythm at all, and then add the metronome, and then add the rhythm, and then add the melody notes, and, and then add all kinds of stuff and make 60 million different versions in our head where we're trying to get everything memorized. We just sort of do it from the beginning correctly um, and at a higher tempo for an advanced player, that could work. Mm-hmm. I, like I can definitely see how that could be helpful for some people. I, you know, I, I like to, um, I, I definitely, definitely employ this approach myself. There's no question. There's no question. I, I skip, I'm not doing tune building when I learn a tune. There's like, no, not, there's no way. Now I definitely use it to improve my tunes. Okay. But I'm hardly ever tune building at like half tempo or something. Um, so, uh, so I use this method for sure. Like one of the best ways to learn a tune for me is to just play it relatively full speed many times over with a recording and just kind of enjoy it and sleep on it. And then I wake up, but that's presupposing some fundamentals that are already in great shape. And the other thing that you must do, if you're going to do something like that is you must immediately recognize areas where the fundamental, where the fundamentals are not good. And you must like, and you must not try to learn that stuff fast. So let's say you get to the third part and you know, the Terry Lewis are sloppy as I'm trying to learn it, you know, the Taylor's are really, really sloppy and not fundamentally good. No amount of fast practice is going to help me with that. Or you've got the wrong grace notes in there. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, that's a big one. Like it's a wonderful, like, like any learning process, it's only as good as you hold yourself to that level. So you can very quickly learn something that's totally wrong. Mm-hmm. So, you know, <laughs> there's that risk too. Yeah, it's it's just very interesting, and and like uh, I think there's a place for it, right? I think, and we we talk about this quite a bit, but I think that uh, I think your balance, I think your balance of slow methodical practice to uh, carefree fun practice, like you know, I think slow practice can be actually more fun than fast practice. Uh, like if you do it enough, and you kind of get excited about the you know the the potential of it yeah like it's a bit of a game it's a bit of a puzzle so if you're having absolutely zero fun playing slow i would encourage you to kind of like change the way that you think about it but the balance that you adopt okay let's say for example that 50 percent of the time you practice slow and methodically and the other 50 percent of the time you just kind of throw caution to the wind and jam out for lack of a better term right you just kind of do some reps and have fun with it that's perfectly fine um, and if that's the balance that you need in order to psychologically keep going each day, that's perfectly fine. It's like it's like saying 50% of my meals are all sort of uh, clean foods that come from the earth or grass-fed meat. 50% of my uh, 50% of my meals are really good, healthy foods like that, and then the other 50% are you know pizza and sandwiches and beer, like the other 50% of my calories. Now, that's probably not the end of the world, right? 50% clean is not that bad. I probably won't, I probably won't spiral into morbid obesity anytime soon. Okay. Now, but my whole point, which is very obvious is if I shift that proportion to 75, 25, I'm going to become a lot, I'm going to, I'm going to have a lot more health that way, right? If it's 75% clean and only 25% unclean foods, right? And it's the same with practicing. So the more um, thoughtful, methodical 
process-based practicing we can do relative to the, you know, pressure release style playing where we're just kind of kicking back and having a good time and jamming out, you know, the, the, the better, the balance we can stomach, the, the faster we're going to get better. Yeah. Carol says the 50% plan on food is a bad idea. Yes and no. It's actually a really good idea. If your current balance is a hundred percent crap food, uh, going to 50% is really good for you. Uh, and that you, you know, uh, and, and you won't spiral into morbid obesity. I'll tell you how I know. It's because it basically represents my diet. Um, but, uh, uh, but yeah, like, you know, if you want to lose weight or whatever, you've got to somehow, uh, you've got to somehow kind of like shift the balance of methodical eating to caution to the wind eating. Okay. More frequent, good practice is better than a long, longer, less frequent practice. Yes, absolutely true. Right. That's another good point, which is, if you eat clean five days a week and eat dirty two days a week, okay, that's a lot different than eating dirty five days a week and eating clean two days a week. And the best thing to do would be to just try to be good each day to a certain degree or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. Where was I going with this? Uh, take care of your personal health, but then also that uh, don't let articles like this trick you into thinking that there's some secret uh, to not having to play slow and methodical. There's not. What you really need to do is figure out how to enjoy practicing slow and methodically. There's no secret sauce. <laughs> there, the secret sauce for me is practicing in such a way that gives yourself, um, you know, occasional triumphs. That's the secret. So actually boil things down to one thing at a time. That's a big reason the first freedom phase is just clapping. We used to call them baby steps, but now it's the freedom phase. It's the, that's, a, that's one of the major reasons that the first phase is just clapping. It's not that we couldn't just skip to phase two and have some, some success with some people. It's that phase one, if anything is easy, it's phase one, like – you know, that's the most simple building block. Um, and easy isn't the right word because some people uh, still have to kind of learn how to do it and it can be a bit tricky. But, um, but rhythm, right? Clapping rhythms is really, really doable. And, with, and we're kind of proving it in our freedom intensive right now with three or four or five or six days of really focused practice just on rhythm. You get it and then you achieve something. And then what happens when you pick up your chanter and look at a tune after you've actually done real solid work on rhythm and, and like hit that basic baseline, all of a sudden your tunes look and feel a lot easier uh, to start to play. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, Carol's saying, so a little bit of practice every day is better than twice a week for a long time. It's something I say to a lot of pipers as they say, Hey, I'd like to learn the, or future pipers, I'd like to learn the pipes, or I'm, I'm struggling, play five minutes a day. You know, practice, set aside five minutes a day. Let's start there. But the key is the A-day part, each and every day. You know, maybe with an exception here or there, but you'll do a ton more progress. You'll make a ton more progress in just five or 10 or 15 minutes is ideal every day than you will an hour, even every day. But 
No, more like an hour every couple of days or 30 minutes, right? The best thing to do, the, the best thing to do is a minimum of X per day. So uh, if you could do a minimum of five minutes of actual practice, remember, you have to actually practice. Right. Uh, you know, that that's the thing. But, you know, you can't just uh, you can't just do it can't be all caution to the wind style playing. Right. But if you could do a minimum of five minutes per day, that's better, way better than let's just give a horrendous example. That would be way better than eight hours, one day per week. Sure. So a minimum of five minutes a day, like that could add up to as few as 35 minutes a week, right? And eight hours is something obscene, like 480 minutes or something, right? Did I get that right? Not bad. It's been a while since I've been in school. Uh, so, but you can, you can achieve more in 35 minutes a week than in 480 minutes per week uh, by doing a little bit each day and yeah. keeping the momentum going. Probably not true. Probably eight hours. I don't know. But then all, all that gets lost by, by not following up each day. Think, think, about any, think about any skill that you're really proficient at. Could you have learned it uh, with just one day a week of practice? Like MQM is a writer. What if you just wrote one day a week, MQM, for eight hours? Would that have made you good? Just asking. Like, I mean, maybe I'm, uh, maybe I'm wrong here. Maybe eight hours a, is a good way to get carpal tunnel. There you go. I'm just going to come on mic real quick. Uh, yeah, it's um, when you're starting out writing. Yeah, you definitely need to write. Like, just uh, um, one of my teachers said that uh, <clears throat> a sawmill produces as much um, sawdust as it does usable lumber. So you need to think about that. But I think the difference between writing and um, and playing music is that with, with writing, you have a tangible, you have something tangible at the end, whether it's a, it's a pile of garbage and you need, but what you, the hurdle you need to get over with that is you need to be able to throw that all away. Right. You know, like you need to throw away the, the million bad words and not hang on to them and think they're precious. And I think we don't have to deal with that as, as musicians. So there you go. That's it. So wait, are you you're are you confirming my point or not? I couldn't tell. I'm I'm confirming your point, but I'm also saying it's it's <laughs> like, it's not a direct parallel. Yes, th- my analogies seldom are direct, uh, but uh, there you go. Uh, I agree. I think you also do sort of have to do that as pipers too, or any there's there's like a element of it, but it's not quite as visible as what you're saying. But like you know, you also have to accept that when you're learning something, there's going to be you know practice sessions that are uh, extremely frustrating or or feels like you're going backwards or like nothing you play seems to be going right and you do have to be able to kind of recover for that from that so let's say and again it's not exactly what mqm saying but let's say you do have one day per week where you just want to play your bagpipes like like saturday's bagpipe day uh, but let's say things don't go well and within the first hour, you're just like so frustrated and nothing's working, or maybe there's a hole in your bag that can't be fixed that day, right? There goes bagpipe day out the window, and, and now it'll be six more days before you get back to it. If you do get back to it, you know, or maybe you never quite recover. And so it would be a lot better to just do a little bit on a daily basis. And maybe it's six out of seven days a week. Like, you know, it doesn't exactly every single day isn't quite as important, but, but, you know, if, if your expectation is, I'm just going to do a minimum of 
of five to 15 minutes. Um, you know, like I'm going to kind of shoot for 15 minutes, but I'm going to get at least five minutes in each day. And you do that. And then on those really crappy days, you're, you're five minutes in and you're like, this is just not working. But you know what? I'll just get back to it tomorrow because that's sort of the expectation. And then usually, uh, you know, usually eventually we kind of have a breakthrough. Yeah. Anyway, let, um, we have some stuff in the chat. Yeah. The other day you mentioned that reps is not a good way to practice. Amen. Well, it's not that reps are bad. Uh, it's that they are a distant priority. Okay. The other day you mentioned that reps is not a good way to practice. Do monotones first. And after you have a handle on that, what do you do? It's not that you have a handle on monotones, but and we're going to probably talk about this more shortly. Uh, but, um, but practicing rhythm, okay, is a much more leveraging way uh, to practice, right? Because rhythm applies universally to all of our tunes, right? Same with bagpipe maintenance, right? Bagpipe maintenance is a really important thing to prioritize when you practice. Okay, like not necessarily that you have to do an hour of maintenance every day, but you at least want to just very, very consciously do the steps of bagpipe maintenance every single day because uh, those are the things that set us up for success. Little story here. I remember in 2017, uh, in Verary, we had like 20, 25 pipers on the roster and people were dropping like flies or being dropped like flies. Okay, because it was a uh, it was the last week leading up to the worlds. I was kind of panicked because I was you know uh, I was late getting in. So mo- obviously the vast majority of the band is there, and at the previous major, seven people got cut from the pipe from the pipe course. Or twenty five people standing around. Stewart cut seven or eight people. Some of them were being cut like early, like within the first couple minutes. Stewart's just like, no, 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 no. And they all sat out. Um, and, and anyway, I was a little nervous, but I showed up and I was, I was fine. And, you know, I remember talking to Alistair Henderson, the pipe sergeant of the band, uh, just about it. And, you know, the f- first thing he said to me was, some people just don't play their pipes every day. And that's not going to work. You know, so it's interesting, right? So here it's one of the top bands in the world. And you might expect him to say something like, oh, we just couldn't get their Ds in tune or the blowing just wasn't steady enough or uh, I don't know, they're just accumulating a bit too much moisture. You'd expect them to say things like that. But what did he, what did he actually say? It's like some people are just not playing their pipes every day, right? And like that points to what I'm talking about where, you know, we need to focus on some, uh, a, a few things that contribute to the vast majority of our results. Regular playing is one of them, right? Like that's one of those things. If we could just play regularly, that's big. Uh, But then, yeah, like just kind of tending to your maintenance a little bit each day, that's way more important than doing reps. Let me give you an example. Let me say, oh, I really got to get this tune memorized for band next week. So you just get your pipes out and you skip the whole maintenance thing. You don't even really think about it. And you skip, let's say, a rhythmic warm-up. And you skip doing any sort of mindful practice on a certain fundamental, maybe with a piece of music that's uh, less familiar to you, right? Those are examples of really high-yield practicing activities. And you just skip straight to reps. Well, uh, first of all, you're probably – the more reps we do, the more we ingrain things. And so unless things are perfect, how – how uh 
how much benefit are we actually going to get from doing reps? Well, you have a, a series of really well ingrained habits after a bunch of reps. Yeah. Good, bad, or otherwise. Yeah. And, and you know, one benefit is you could survive a band practice without being accused of not knowing the music. That's, that's like the one benefit to doing reps. Now, uh, there's two things going on here when you just practice mindfully instead of doing reps. Number one is you're going to get better at your fundamentals. Uh, but number two is you're going to make it you know, faster and easier and you're going to make the eventual quality of your band music better. So it's not that we should never do reps. It's that they should be deprioritized in our practice session, right? They should be kind of like, if reps are actually a high priority, which sometimes they are, but actually most of the time they're not, right? Like most of the time reps aren't that necessary because no one else in the band knows the music either. It's just when you fall behind that, that reps start to become actually on your mind. If you notice it, uh, unless you have like one of those crazy pipe majors that like wants music learned in, in like a week or something. But usually most pipe majors give you a reasonable amount of time to kind of like get a handle on that music. So uh, usually reps only become an issue when you fall behind. And wouldn't it be nice to just have the skill to learn a tune to a really high quality fairly quickly? Uh, and how are you going to develop that ability? You're going to develop de the fundamentals. Yeah. Like you're That's how you're going to do it. And so a lot of us kind of overlook that, right? It's like, Oh my God. And the other one is getting stuff up to tempo. That's like basically the exact sort of thing, right? It's like, Oh man, I've got my solo competition going, coming up and I got to get my two, four March up to tempo, uh, which is related to our previous discussion. And, uh, and there's only one benefit to doing that right? Which is you won't be able to be accused of playing too slow, but basically right. all other things get thrown out the window. Like, you know, the quality of your playing musicality of your playing, uh, the development of your technique, like all that stuff. Let's throw all that out and just get this up to tempo. Obviously that doesn't make any sense. And what's the best way of being able to play things up to tempo at the end of the day, the best way is to let it be a natural byproduct of excellent fundamentals. Well, John says, it's great that you tried to memorize this in just a few days, but next time it'd be great if you played the right notes. <laughs> That's a pretty good, accurate <laughs> description of what happens. Yeah. Just try to rush the process. Yeah, I, it's interesting. I mean, um, I, as, a, as a pipe major myself, I would rather hear mistakes, but people actually playing well uh, the vast majority of the season. Right. Like I'd rather hear mistakes, but people producing a good tone, people playing really well in time, you know, people playing embellishments properly by the steps, all that kind of stuff. You know, I'd rather hear that with a few mistakes all the way up until prime time where we got to get rid of them. But that would be much better than people playing the right notes, but playing them horrendously all year, all year long, forever. Uh, so anyway, Lou's kind of it's only sort of Lou's questions. He so. After you have a handle on your monotones, what do you do? So you might not have a handle on your monotones. And I'm not saying that you do the monotones of the tune that you're trying to work on for the band either, necessarily. All I'm talking about is uh, spending some time to, you know, working on rhythm and developing it. Best case scenario is you're doing some rhythmic warm-ups, kind of like we've been doing in my classes for the past couple of weeks, where we're getting warmed up to the type of rhythm that we're going to see 
primarily in our practice session moving forward. Um, and it's not necessarily that you'll have a handle on it. Maybe you will, but at the very least, you know, you've put some practice into getting comfortable with the rhythm. Okay. Um, and you might, you may or may not have a handle on it and you may or may not shift gears after that to something completely different in your practice. Um, it all depends how you choose to kind of structure it. Uh, let's see. Nancy writes every day and plays pipes every day. Excellent. Both require that discipline. Well, yeah, but also I think it should be fun. And if it is fun, it requires less discipline to want to do every day. So there's a, there's an element of that too. Like don't think of it as just pulling teeth. Um, it's like people who enjoy working out. Like I kind of do most days at this point because I do it every day and I kind of can see like the value and the strategy behind what's going on. Barb says, but after years of struggling with bagpipes that were not set up properly and a read that was too hard, I am now happy camper. So you enjoy playing your pipes. See, you read my mind and play more often and have so much more stamina. Therefore I practice much more. It's a win-win situation. And that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. We want to build on success, get little stuff right at the beginning and build on that. You will quickly find yourself a much, much better piper. Let's just take the rhythm example. If you can look at any piece of music and be 0% intimidated by the rhythms that it's throwing at you, okay, that allows you to, that allows you to like shift your focus onward to being a better player, no matter what tune you're trying to play. Um, and then we'll do, let's do the same with scale navigation over time. We'll do the same with basic grace notes over time. And like, you know, the lower the fundamental is on the totem pole, the more important it is. So those are the important things to build on every single day and become unconsciously competent with them. Joe says, playing the first low G of the Terry Lewis on the beat is a new challenge for me as I have discovered that I unconsciously play the movement before the beat with the E grace note on the beat. So that is not an incorrect way of playing a Terry Lewis. That's legal. You can play a Terry Lewis that ends with the E grace note on the beat. Um, but sometimes we find that the music kind of calls for the other approach. So uh, Joe, I think tons of people find this problem. Um, and the important thing is, is that we over time start to develop the ability to kind of do it either way, depending on, on what's appropriate. Yeah. I, th I think that's the most diplomatic answer to that question I've ever heard from you. <laughs> no, that's not true. I've been saying that for years. I've been saying that for years. Uh, now, I mean, of course we teach, with all of those techniques starting on the beat instead of finishing. But, you know, I don't know about you, Andrew, but I certainly learned the opposite way. And it took a long time for me to learn to do it the other way. But now I've got the ability to do both, mm -hmm. right? And when the situation calls for whatever I need, I can do that on demand. Right. Um, it's about it's about control and it's about kind of selecting the um, – uh, it's about selecting the appropriate way of playing those movements given the situation. Uh, a great example for me, I, I really like the opening phrase of Scott and the Brave as a way to illustrate that. So Scott and the Brave, the melody of it goes, e da da ba da da ba di di ba di da da right? That's the melody of Scott and the Brave, right? Everybody agree? So the two low G movements that are in that the, on beat two, we have a tear low. Da, da, ba, da, and, da. and for me, the rhythm is not 
da ba 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 bum bum. It's more like da dum ba da, right? So we don't really want anything to go ahead of beat two in Scotland the Brave. So in the first bar, I personally now it's different if you play with different people, right? Like if my job is to match Jack Lee and he's playing it another way, I'm not gonna just play it my way and say unison be damned. But if I were to play this on my own, the first one would be Terlouth beginning on beat. That's how I that's how I would do it. Now now it's different when it comes to the grip in in uh, bar two for me. Because the melody goes da da ba da unda unda right so the grip is or or there's meant to be a little note preceding beat three. Okay, so in that case, I want to start my grip slightly before the beat, and and the completion of the grip is what would align with the beat in that case. Make sense? Now I'm playing it bigger than I would normally play it, just to make sure I illustrate it. But then, so now you have two different styles in the same phrase, uh, but I've made that choice because I think like to me, that's the most musical way of approaching it. Like this doesn't work for me. Right? It takes away from the melody. It's not really how it's supposed to go. And then here, this grip definitely begins on the beat for me because this doesn't make sense. Doesn't work, right? Like, not really. So in that case, I'm going to start it on the beat. Right? And those are just all my own personal musical decisions. Just remember, like, what's really important is not so much what you're doing, but that you have control over it. Because sometimes when you go play in a band or if you go play at the Virginia Tattoo or whatever, like at the Virginia Tattoo, everybody plays everything way ahead of the beat <laughs> with, with, in regards to the low G movements, right? So when I went and played at the Virginia Tattoo, I just adjusted everything I was doing to uh, – how do I put this? Uh, ahead of the beat just slightly slightly ahead of the beat and um and that's how that's what i had to do in order to kind of create unison with the rest of the group right uh but then meanwhile you know you, you play with somebody else like if i play with eric olette i'm probably going to be starting most stuff on the beat because that's sort of how you know uh he and i would would approach playing that so the important thing is the control not the rule right the important thing is that you have control over it. Good question. Janet says, you are so right, Barb. Uh, a poorly set up instrument has you walking by and ignoring it. Isn't that such a great point? Which is why bagpipe maintenance is more important than reps. Right? And an arrhythmic tune is also, also you're also walking by that. Arrhythmic. Arrhythmic? Arrhythmic? An arrhythmic tune also has you walking by. So, Practice rhythm instead of reps or before reps. Rhythm before reps, except after Z. Oh, Pierre, you used a bad word. Uh, a little bit 
correctly on a daily basis will be better than crappy, repetitious, bad technique. I got accused of being Trump-like at the tuning clinic, so I can't say that word anymore. Uh, Bob's got to go. Bye, Bob. He's already gone. Give him my regards, blah, 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 blah. I really appreciate Carl and Andrew demonstrating correctly how to get rid of lift drop, lift drop crossing noises. It's going to be a work in progress. MQM says, even in Inverary. What's, what was that referring to, MQM? He's referring to the uh, people not playing their pipes. Yeah, yeah, day. yeah. And it's not so much that people don't play their pipes every day during prime season. I'm sure they were. But it's uh, all it's all those days across the winter time too, you know. So people are getting cut because they they've never demonstrated that they're not a liability, and now it's prime time. They're still not demonstrating it. So you know when when the tone isn't sounding pristine, they they know where their go to people are to try to improve it. And sure enough, sure enough, that strategy paid off. I think we won the medley at the worlds with like sixteen pipers or something. Which also happens to be something Andrew Bertoff said could not be done and absolutely was. So there you go. Yeah. The size of the bands is just getting out of control. You can't win the worlds with less than 24 pipers. This this was happening in 2017. You can't win the worlds with less than 24 pipers. And, and that makes it so everyone is kind of pillaging all the lower grade bands and it's ruining piping. And then, uh, Inverary one was 16 guys. Come on, Andrew. The judges just listened to Andrew Bertoff. Yeah. That was the real, totally. that's really what happened. No, he's a, he's a, he's a good guy and thorough Andrew Bertoff. Solid. All right. Jen says, I've also heard that after a certain number of repeats, your brain is no longer engaged. I don't know how to explain what I was told. I, I think it's a good point, right? So whatever is not, focus. yeah, whatever is not subconsciously ingrained, in your mind, right? Or whatever is subconsciously ingrained, let's say that, is what's going to come out when, when the going gets tough, right? It's a great point. And, the, you know, I've experienced that many times playing at the Worlds. You know, whatever is ingrained is going to come out. So our job during preparation is to ingrain only good stuff so that it comes out when the going gets tough. Because yeah, it's really difficult to focus even in the easy times, right? Like Jen's saying, you, it's hard, you can't focus like three repetitions into a tune or something, right? The focus is gonna be gone. And so whatever is ingrained is what's gonna end up coming out. It's great that you've tried to memorize this in just a few days, but next time it would be good to play the correct notes. Yes. Yeah, and Stephanie Burns books seem to be, I've never read them, but they seem to be comprehensive guides from what people have told me. Jen said, when one of my pipers refused to play Green Hills in the group with a metronome, he said, why would I play this slow? I've been playing this for 60 years. I told him that doesn't mean you've been playing it correctly. Ooh. Yes, it does. The longer you've been playing it, the better it gets. I can't stand that. It's funny. Stuart made a few comments on along those lines at the pipe major symposium. It's like the most irritating music we play in high level bands is the Scott and the Brave and Green Hills and stuff, because the playing is so bad. Um, Pierre loves the Scott and the Brave read test. What's not to love? I've been trying to play reads that are much too difficult. Yes, and you're not alone. It's no fun. Yes, that's correct. An appropriate strength read has made playing much more enjoyable. Exactly. There are there, The pros far outweigh the cons of playing a read that's the appropriate strength for you. Far, far, far. And we did, I think we talked about that 
last week or the week before. Yeah. In depth. At the tattoo, they told us, get the big black notes in the right place. <laughs> That's a good start. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, you know, you're going to hope you have good rhythm skills when, when, when you're trying to do that. Uh, Tom said his poor wife had to put up with him vocalizing a tune with your foot tapping this morning before I was full, before I was fully awake. There you go. I like it. That's called de devotion and dedication. Why does my metronome slow down when I play tunes? Great question. So it's uh, it's the music, the music of the the Gaelic fairies. Okay, this is a fact. The music from the Gaelic fa fairies actually uh, mess around just a little bit with quantum mechanics. And so, um, so you actually have to perform slower uh, as a result of this mad. It's like magic, you know. Um, and um, and unfortunately, some people have the magic and some people don't. So you never know if you're if you have the magic or not. But if you do, you have to slow it down a little bit. Uh, to, to be fair, Joe, I, cause I think this was a, a joke. No, no, no. It's a re no, no. Um, I, I was gonna, I was gonna answer the question seriously. Oh, okay, go ahead. No, you can, you can answer it though. I was gonna say adrenaline gives you that effect, like, uh, and and you might find this more when you're performing, but adrenaline definitely does give you that sensation that you need to be slowing down and like, yeah, it, it alters the way we perceive time, uh, and in that case, yeah, the music as well. So there, there is a certain truth to that even if that was a joke. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, the, the real reason is that usually we, um, adrenaline, sure, but usually we don't actually have a rhythmic accuracy developed to the point it needs to be developed to either. Right. So, so that, the, that's the two elements, you know, like in, in playing rhythm is we got to understand how the rhythms work, you know, and uh, based on, I think I heard you play yesterday. Sounds like, you know, how the rhythms work, but um, it might be, an interesting experiment to just really evaluate whether or not you're being accurate with the rhythms because the vast majority of people, even experienced players will habitually do what relative to the click of a metronome, regardless of what rhythm they're playing, even if it's 16th notes or quarter notes or whatever, not, they don't speed up, but relative to the click of the metronome, most people place their rhythms kind of unknowingly ahead of the metronome. Um, and even just slightly ahead, okay, will result in rushed, fast playing over time, right? It's kind of like a compounding effect. And so uh, when we practice at slower tempos, we need to be really, really discerning about the accuracy to the click, not just what the rhythms are, but whether or not they're actually being played with accuracy and control. Because yeah, otherwise the side effect is uh, when we do try to play with a metronome, it has the feeling of of slowing down on us because just because we have to do a little bit more work with our rhythmic accuracy. So we have, we talk about that solar eclipse with the metronome, you know, like let's say you have a G grace note on the beat. Um, you know, you should turn up your metronome nice and loud. So you can't even hear your G grace note when you're playing because that would indicate that the two things are actually perfectly synchronized together. And, and then if you can hear it, you know, it means you're not quite accurate. And then dialing in that accuracy will pay great dividends uh, in the quality of your playing, not just the quality of your rhythm. You know, think about all the other fundamentals that are directly related to accurate rhythm. Like crossing noises are, are uh, different fingers 
you know, uh, firing at different times. You know, anytime you hear the word time, uh, talking about music, that's really talking about rhythm, right? Because rhythm is basically how musical sounds are organized over time, right? So, so yeah, scale navigation, obviously grace note size and synchronization are both closely correlated to rhythmic accuracy. What's the reason most of us stretch those grace notes out kind of subconsciously is because we're kind of covering up that we don't exactly know when something's supposed to happen so that those fingers start to reach out for bigger and bigger grace notes on us. And then synchronization is obviously a timing issue. And from embellishments, obviously, we have a lot of complex things that need to happen. And if we don't know exactly when they need to happen, embellishments tend to come out sloppy. And then ALAP, ASAP, or expression-related issues that we talk about all have to do with timing because we're basically breaking the rules slightly of, of uh, musical timing in order to create that expression. So rhythmic accuracy is one of the most important things you can develop, which is why that rhythmic warm-up that I'm advocating in each practice session is so, so important. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> Yes. Well, I have the magic, of course, of the of the Celtic fairies. Yes. Of the Celtic fairies. Yes. Um, obviously. Careful. You can get yourself in trouble calling some Celtics fairies. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, I got I to gotta watch my... Especially if, I wear, if I'm wearing a fanny pack. They don't like that over there. Well, they don't like calling it a fanny pack. Wow. Fa fanny pack means Andrew something drastically different. Yeah. yeah, it's not. Andrew has... For a long time, running the band has a, a, a magical fanny pack that he wears to you know, keep a little hemp and tape and I don't know what else in there. Yeah, I just don't like my sporing getting too heavy. Yeah, I don't like my sporing getting too heavy. <laughs> um, yeah, like the, Carol says, on the front of the beat rather than the back of the beat. So that is not a thing. There is no front of the beat or the back of the beat. Front of the beat means... You're let's ahead. hear it, everybody. Yeah, early. Front of the beat means incorrect. Okay, now, and then back of the beat means late. Now, back of the beat's better than early to the beat generally, but let's not get into that. Um, now, look, and then just the, the grand caveat to all of this stuff is once you have a true mastery of all of these rules, all these fundamental rules, once you have actual true mastery of all these things, usually the beauty of the music making comes from the exploration of slight breakings of some of these rules you know like you know like i think van gogh could draw like in photograph quality but his famous paintings don't look like photographs it's something beyond that where he, you know he's he's going beyond like actual perfect execution to create something even more evocative so so somewhere down the line playing on the back of the beat uh, is probably really, really awesome, potentially amazing sounding. But we're just talking about from an objective developmental point of view. No such thing as front or back of beat. Okay. Like, oh, uh, like, hey, so-and-so, you know you're rushing to every single click. Oh, I just play on the front of the beat. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. It's like, cool, like, I totally get that you're playing on the front of the beat, but can you play on the beat? Like, show me that you actually have control. Let me hear you just, you know play uh, right on the beat for me. Oh, no, no, it's still on the front of the beat. No, 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 I want to hear you play on the, you know, the issue is control, right? The issue is control. Yeah, Van, Van Gogh, uh, uh, yeah, had trouble hearing those bass frequencies, didn't he? Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> like he could hear the guy next to him, no problem. But is uh, yeah, exactly. The total eclipse of the beat. Yeah, totally happening. Oh yeah, the rhythm's gonna get you. It could get you exactly. Okay. Uh, let's see. I have more questions. We have ten more minutes. This is not a question. I received the publication that went with the Pipe Major Symposium. I want to say that Andrew put together a first-class book. I sure did. That contained all the information. And uh, I didn't really. So uh, Camille, between Camille and Andy Fusco, they did the vast majority of the work on that. Uh, so thanks to them. Yeah, it did come out awesome. Carl, did you get yours? Or you no, didn't get one? Not yeah, yet. You didn't get Yeah, I didn't go. <laughs> um. I just listened to Chanter Rant episode 112. I think yours truly was on that episode. Uh, and the discussion rega uh, regarding creating sustainable band culture got the juices flowing. It's pretty cool. Uh, most of these are not questions. Here's one for you, Carl. I've registered for the Freedom Intensive and now have the book and manometer. Where are the instructions about how to set up and use the manometer? Uh. <laughs> Do we not include instructions in the bag? Well, yeah, there's the there's the link to the video on how to set it up. But uh, yeah. But if you don't um, go to the link, then what? Well, I mean, you hang it up. <laughs> hang it up. You fill it up with water. There, there's a basic diagram in there, but, you know, it's maybe not the best. Uh, yeah, I mean, there is an explanation in there, Dave, right? I mean, there is something in there, but it's maybe not the world's best. Um, the bottom line is you hang it up, you pour some water in it, and you plug it into your bagpipes. Um, this one's from Jen. It would appear that the class archives only exist for two months. Once we hit two months and one week, none of the links work. They all say that recording does not exist. Any thoughts? I sure do have thoughts. You are correct. After two months, they're gone. Into the ethos. Now, we save some of them. We save the best ones, and they're placed in the library. But, like, you know, phew. Usually two or three months, whew, they disappear. Uh, you were looking for one of the classes that were done regarding tuning your practice chanter by generating a tone sound. So you can look in my archive, in my library, and see if we saved it. I usually save the good ones where people's minds are splattering all over their cameras because they're just blown. I usually do save those. So uh, have a look in the library. I think tuning your practice chamber <clears throat> with a tone generator was a t class that I taught, and it's very. Nancy is sad about this. I like going through archives for the tunes. Well, uh, there's still thousands of classes in the archives, so you'll never run out, I promise. And things where we're teaching tunes, that stays in the archive, just not teaching the rhythm of the dethrow in Captain Norman or Ewing from four months ago, because we're going to teach it again next week in the stress bay. Yeah, you know, um, and also, we have materials for teaching that. Also from Jen, FYI, in the Five Steps to Bagpipe Freedom course, in the intro, fourth paragraph from the bottom, there's a P at the end of the word phrase. Oof. Phrase or phase? Uh, phase. Turns phase. out I can't read either. Phase P. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Jen. Um, I'll hunt that down and <laughs> fix that. In the meantime, I... It's uh, you've never heard of the word phase up before. It's a very important, very important bagpipe, very important bagpipe word. Um, so there you go, everyone. Things are happening.
we're under a stress bay next week. That's kind of exciting. Yeah, what is the tune? Do you know? Because I didn't know. Yeah, it's um, that one that uh, <laughs> I don't remember the name of oh, right that now. one. Hang on. No, it's a tune we like. Um, we're looking at Lady Mackenzie of Gerlach. Yeah. Really is that good. this one? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah this is a hard tune yeah it's a good one though it's really it's really nice I, people better hope they pass their in the freedom phase in the freedom course they better hope they pass their rhythm this week <laughs> <laughs> where it's gonna be it's gonna be a long week i think i don't think we're gonna ask people to clap the hack i'm sorry we would just do the like yeah. just do the I think so, the simplified version. Just as simple as Ackham's. But there, there's one Tackham in this week's tune. So get that one right and pass this week. <laughs> and then, like, cross, crossing noise, people. It's, there's a, definitely a lot of opportunities here. Is that how the simplified version goes? And then how's the second part go? I don't I don't remember. I mean, here, just I could just open the tune up. I mean I let's got not it. let's not be ridiculous. Oh yeah, I had the second part right. It's going to be excited. So the simplified version. Right? Um, <clears throat> yeah. That'll be fun to dive into a little bit. Yeah, it's going to be a neat tune. I think people are going to like it. Is there a printable link? Yes, there is. Uh, it's on the website. On the website, yeah. So, uh, But it could be a little tricky to kind of find the tune of the week on the website. But it's in your courses. Here, quick Dojo U Tour. We didn't get a chance to teach the internet today. So here's our website. Woohoo! Uh, so if you go to, I don't know, the best way to do it is Go here into your courses, which kind of sometimes take a painfully long time to load up. But then um, in here, in your weekly mission portfolio, this area here, you see your weekly missions. That's where you're going to find it. So click click on your weekly missions, um, and you go to you go to this week's date. So for example, today is October 9th. So you go to October 9th through fifteenth. And that's where all the information is. There's also we're doing this week. another way to find it, right, Andrew? Like the search bar? Search bar, yeah. Oh. Or you can go to the library and go yeah. under the Strath A library and 
find it by name. Yeah, uh, we're thanks you. Carl, Carl and I had a meeting yesterday. Uh, we're going to be reworking this whole thing how it works. So, so worry, it'll, it's going to be, it'll a good only be <laughs> yeah, it'll only be awful for a little while longer, and then it's going to be easier. Uh, but there it is. There's your music. Here's a whole bunch of videos of how to play it, and so that's how you do it. Um, yeah, we're going to be reworking the whole thing. Big changes coming your way. Um, but the tune of the week is, is going to is staying. Some things are some things are disappearing. I won't tell you what. I'll just I'll just let you worry about it. Um, there's one thing that's disappearing that's being replaced with uh, something much better, um, and and just the general navigation of the site. General navigation of the site uh, <laughs> will be um, hopefully way easier eventually, but it's going to be a while. Yeah, it's going to be next year, I think, <laughs> or the end of this year. Is there a way to mark the week as complete, even if you did not submit that week? No. But again, don't worry about it. The whole problem is disappearing soon. Uh, okay, that's it. There I think. Go. I, I don't got <laughs> hey, we'll, we'll, we'll see you all for, for next week. Those who are working on the bagpipe intensive, get the... Get that last bit of work done. Get your recordings in by 11 a.m. Eastern time. Tomorrow, right? Yeah, Saturday. And um, Are you going to help me grade some of those tomorrow, or are, are you... Uh, uh, I think I can. Depends all right. on what I'm doing. If, if not, I'm prepared. If not, I'm prepared to just do it all. But yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I'll try. So I'd love to help you on that a bit. Oh, it's Thanksgiving for... It's, oh. it's Thanksgiving for Canadians, and I just want to say, Canadians, you're welcome. Uh, happy uh, Canadian Thanksgiving. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, I think the Canadians by this point are used to rolling their <laughs> eyes when Andy has any comment about Hey, everybody. Andrew Douglas here from the Piper's Dojo, and I just want to say thanks so much for listening to today's iteration of the podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard here today, it would be super helpful to us and to a lot of bagpipers out there trying to find us. If you could give us a top-notch review on whatever platform you're using to listen to this podcast, particularly Apple, iTunes, and Spotify, and things like that, your review would be really, really helpful. So if you have a moment today, definitely go over there and help us out. Other than that, until we meet again on the podcast or somewhere else, thanks again for listening. <laughs>